0: Suzanne Pierce is the Director of Policy Science and Research at the Centre for Medicinal Cannabis and Research and Innovation here in New South Wales. Suzanne has held a range of senior management roles in government and the university sectors, working in science and medical research for over 10 years. She has led complex policy and regulatory reform projects, including development of infrastructure and support for clinical trials and research translation. Suzanne previously worked as a registered nurse here in New South Wales. She holds a social science degree and recently submitted her doctorate in the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney. Please join me in welcoming Suzanne Pearce. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rita. Um, As a nurse, um, or a previous nurse, um, I'm really pleased to be here today. And uh, it's a delight, and thank you for inviting me. Okay, so just briefly, um, I just thought I'd start uh, a little bit about the centre. It was established two years ago. The director is, in fact, the New South Wales Chief Scientist and Engineer, Mary O'Kane. We have an advisory council, and I'm pleased to say that Lucy is on our council, and has been a very active part of that. Um, It really follows on from the government commitment to having an evidence-based approach for safe and effective use of cannabis medicines. And I should say the government has committed $21 million um, towards advancing that that situation. Um, As part of the work, we um, oversee the trials that the government um, has uh, funded. Um, And they're in three main areas. One is with children with severe uh, treatment-resistant epilepsy, Um, adults with advanced cancer and palliative care, And chemotherapy patients suffering from nausea and vomiting who are unresponsive to other treatments. We do other work around information and education. We fund research. I'm not going to really touch on it today, but there's a whole other arm around cultivation, um, etc. And we provide advice on policy issues. And we actually work very closely with our Commonwealth and other jurisdictional colleagues. And I know there's a sense of um, bureaucratic inertia, but I can assure you there's actually quite a lot of activity um, going on in the background. And, I don't want to dwell on this slide. It's just to give you a sense of progress over the last couple of years. And I understand um, from looking outside, um, it may seem slow, but in fact, there's been quite a number of regulatory changes over the last couple of years that allows lawful prescribing. And I'll come to uh, some of those elements as I talk through today. Okay, so what I wanted to do is just briefly touch on some of the challenges that we're facing. Secondly, to give you a bit of an overview about what the regulatory framework is, and that follows on a little bit from what Mark was saying. And then to talk a little bit about what we're doing now that the system is in place. And I think up until now, it's been very much establishing the system. Now we're really about communicating how it's working and asking the question, what more can we do now? So as as I said, there's a a government um, commitment to the evidence. It's really centered in um, a medicine's quality use of medicines framework and good medical practice, 21 million over four years. Challenges, I think, Justin described really well. We're dealing with a highly complex plant with um, numerous compounds, over 100 cannabinoids, terpenes, and other compounds. Um, each, of course, which have their own therapeutic um, and potential adverse impacts uh, that we need to better understand. As the previous speaker said, we, we're in a really complex space where there's a high history of use, um, a lot of individual case reports and anecdotes, but historically not particularly good science. You know, small studies using products of unknown background, et cetera. I'm really pleased to say that that is changing. And I think we're going to see quite a lot of change in the coming years to come. And I think it's, it's, it's happening even now. We have to be really conscious of um, some of the variable effects. And I think Justin uh, mentioned the, um, the epilepsy study that was in the New England Journal of Medicine. And that did show um, promising results in terms of those uh, receiving the product but also in the case of those receiving placebo. And I think Mark also also mentioned that. So it's really trying to get a handle on when we see these responses. Is it the product? Is it placebo? Is it the drug potentiating other drugs? Is it, you know, individual biology and genetics? Is it the natural course of disease? Likely to be a mix of factors. There's much to be learnt. Um, Less heard, I think, is some of the no effects and side effects reports. We've got the challenge of information and the fact that we have a lot of unregistered products. Um, as we said, we only have one that's actually on the ARTG. And the public is less familiar with uh, using those kind of products. The difficulties of making comparisons. People don't walk around in, within their head, you know, having the therapeutic hierarchy. Um, we hosted a, um, a regulatory forum earlier this year and we had colleagues come from Israel, the Netherlands, Germany, Canada and New Zealand. And they're very different models. As you know, Canada has gone to a, um, a legalisation model. Uh, the Netherlands has been well established. Israel is going back in the other direction towards a re um, medicalization model. But notwithstanding these very different systems and frameworks, We all face the common challenge, and they're around the quality of the evidence. How can we collect data consistently uh, to help inform us going forward? The need for information, I think Mark touched on that. A real challenge around quality, consistent product and costs, and I think Lucy mentioned that earlier. Um, An issue is most products aren't regulated to a medicine standards internationally. And we have well-known problems, batch-to-batch inconsistency, not always saying what they have, um, not necessarily having the active ingredients um, that are claimed, and contaminants. Right now there is, as Mark said, only one product on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, that's Nabiximols or Sativex. It has not been marketed, so it's had to be brought in as an unregistered product. Uh, that will change in November of this year when it is being launched. I can confirm that. That, that is in train. Um, the products uh, earlier this year, the federal health minister allowed companies to import products and hold them on shore um, wholesale. And the very positive result of that is meant that individual practitioners weren't in the situation of having to import things on a case-by-case basis. They have to meet a minimum quality standard, but the challenge that we have in most of them lack basic safety and efficacy data, and particularly around the safety data, and that is so important and very typical of what practitioners rely on when they're using unregistered products. Um, we have also a very different situation is historically use of unregistered products has typically been in the hospital setting by specialists. We're now having a system where um, that is possible to happen in the community and there is probably less familiarity with the frameworks and the requirements. So there's a lot of education to be done there. Um, I think amidst the very strong levels of compassion and interest, we are also seeing a lot of ent- entrepreneurial driven Um, practice and I don't think that that is necessarily in our patient's best interests. Uh, Just really um, briefly, I don't want to labor this, but just to remind everyone is that generally it's illegal to supply if it's not on the ARTG and the importance of that is that it has been fully assessed. There is only one, um, but we have regulatory reforms that allow that. In addition to having registered medicines, and this is based on a risk assessment, registered medicines are regarded as higher risk and go through a much more thorough um, analysis. You can also have a listing system for products regarded as less risky, but you do have pathways that are established for unregistered medicines. And there are three, um, a couple of them are really the clinical trial schemes or you can have an authorised prescriber and the special access schemes. These are not cannabis specific, they apply to any unregistered good. Um, Just a snapshot, I don't want to talk about that, I think Lucy put up part of it before, it's simply when I distribute the slides and they, they will be made available, you can have easy access to the pathways there. So I just wanted to touch briefly on the New South Wales framework so you have an understanding of it. And I do think it is so important that nurses are familiar with this as you are the closest to the patient. So it's really critical that you do have um, a good understanding of it. Essentially, you do require, as Mark said, an authority by the Secretary of New South Wales to prescribe and supply. Um, An exception is cannabidiol products. They have less than 2% of other cannabinoids in them. That only requires, it's a Schedule IV, it only requires TGA approval. Otherwise, you do need um, approval by the Secretary of Health. You also need approval from the TGA under one of their schemes, whether it's a clinical trial, authorized prescriber, or special access. You can make the applications at the same time and, as as I mentioned before, you need to meet a minimal quality standard for the product that you're prescribing. In New South Wales, you must be a medical practitioner. You're expected to be a specialist in the field because it is an unregistered product, but it is not confined to that. There are no limits on the conditions for which you might apply and um, just to make give you a sense of it, the application process is very similar to what you would do if you were in a hospital applying to use another unregistered product. So the forms are a little bit different, but the essence of the questions that are asked are the same. And this is just a slide. I don't plan to go through it in detail, but just to give you a sense about what the requirements are and why the question is being asked. So it's an unregistered product. It hasn't been fully assessed. So have you tried standard treatments um, already that have been fully assessed? Why do you want to do this? What evidence can you bring forward? Or what kind of rationale can you provide for what you're doing? Have you carefully assessed the benefits and harms? This is standard medicines practice. Um, How are you going to monitor the patient and who's going to be involved in that process? And have you thought through the potential side effects as well as part of that? Um, Just very briefly, um, Rita asked if I could comment on the situation in other jurisdictions. Um, So I've got two slides here. One is about Schedule 8 and Schedule 4. In all jurisdictions, specialists um, uh, can apply. Um, In most jurisdictions, not all GPs can also apply. And not surprisingly, the expectation is that there is a good shared care arrangement between the practitioners. Uh, Schedule 4, as I said, in New South Wales, there's not a requirement for cannabidiol um, to have a New South Wales authority. Um, There are in other states for single applications. And I just, um, when you get the slides, I just put some links in, so if you're interested in looking elsewhere, you do have that information. While there are different systems in place, there has been a lot of mapping going on in the background. There is variation, but they're broadly similar, and they ask pretty similar questions that relate to the use of unregistered products. And we have done um, a lot of work to align the New South Wales application to the Commonwealth. There are different reasons sitting behind the assessments, but um, in essence, it's so there's a very consistent approach to it. I just want to make mention, um, Lucy mentioned it in her uh, talk. Um, In 2014, the former premier did establish um, the Medicinal Cannabis Compassionate Use Scheme. It is a mouthful, but as Lucy said, um, it is different um, and uh, less uh, insensitive, if you like, to the name of the one before. It is not a supply scheme. It's a discretionary scheme for the police if you are found or carers are found in possession of small quantities of cannabis that are not lawfully prescribed so that they do not take action and their maximum quantities. It involves a patient making an application and a certification by your usual treating practitioner. Um, To date, there's been over 500 applications um, of of individual, um, just under 400 are current, and another 663 um, carers. There are a limit on a carer can can, um, be on the register for, I think, up to two patients it is. The chief scientist and engineer was asked by the former premier to undertake a review of the scheme that was released earlier this year. And because the system um, is still really being battered down, she recommended that it remain in place for the present for people who do have a terminal illness, um, suggested some administrative changes. So for example, previously it was a one year registration that has now changed to two years. Um, Online application forms are being put in place. Uh, The Department of Justice um, manages that register and we're working with them now to make those updates. Um, The chief scientist recommended that it not be um, extended to others because there were now legal um, pathways in place and we want to encourage people to use them. Just a little bit of a, an update, I thought I'd finish off on, on some of the things that we've been doing and I've said progress here but it's I'd probably, developments is probably the more um, accurate situation. So there's about 11 clinical trials, um, there are more we know in the offing that are currently operational um, funded by government and industry in the state. We expect there's about, um, there'll be probably be about a thousand people um, participating in them. One of the great benefits, um, aside from the commitment to the evidence that we're finding from the certainly the government-funded clinical trials, is you're having cohorts of practitioners. Those practitioners are also prescribing individually, and I think you're creating a network um, in different specialities that one would want to see in terms of sharing knowledge and experience. The other point of clinical trials, of course, is it is a pathway to registration for the ARTG and also uh, making an application for the PBS. And in terms of patient access and costs, that will be incredibly important. Just briefly about um, the three areas where there's trials. In New South Wales, um, all of our um, pediatric neurologists um, are. Authorised prescribers under the TGA. Um, this um, certainly expedites the process. Um, they, they, we have had up to 50 children. We've had 50 children uh, receive um, a particular product, Epidiolex. Um, we've had up until up until recently only 40 doses available. So if it's not showing effective side effects, children come off. We've secured additional doses, which mean at any one time up to 66 children under the CAS um, will be able to access that. Um, there is a government funded trial um, with a novel cannabinoid, um, RN that is due to start early next year. And the relationship has also meant that other children with rare conditions have been able to join international schemes as well. And I think for those rare conditions, you know, it's very hard to get studies up and running when there's such small numbers, so that's really important as well. Chemotherapy-induced uh, nausea and vomiting was an identified um, opportunity that the government has funded. The studies previously, um, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence, but the studies were, were small. They uh, the comparators were against really old antiemetics, um, and uh, the other thing is, is they used um, smoked product. You know, the studies of smoked product or synthetic. This is actually full leaf. Th- leaf um, inhaled product that is being used in this trial. I think Lucy mentioned earlier about looking at not not just single molecule products but also more complex plant based products that's what this is doing and this is focusing um, actually I've just said the wrong thing Take that back. It's the palliative care one that's using the smoked one. This is a—it's um, a capsule. This one. I do apologise, and it's using a one-to-one plant extract THC and CBD. Sorry, I quickly wrote leaf product on it, and I'm referring to the wrong one. But um, it is very important. Um, partly in terms of allowing people to complete their treatment, but also in terms of their physical and their psychological well-being as well. It's on track in stage one, uh, which is setting the dosing. It's at uh, 10 sites around New South Wales, and the second stage is due to begin next year. Now that it's established and people are completing treatment, Um, We've established a standard protocol for practitioners to expedite the process. As people come off the trial, they can separately be unblinded and if they have been found to have benefit, um, they have continued access to that product and having a standardised protocol means it is a much easier process um, uh, for access. Uh, At the same time, patients who aren't on the trial uh, can access um, uh, the product through the other schemes. In terms of palliative care, this is where the LEAF product is being used, and that's an inhaled product. It's particularly focusing on appetite-related symptoms, which is so important, not only in terms of your physical well-being, but, of course, in terms of your ability to to socialise. Um, food is so critical um, in terms of sharing experience to make that um to make that available. The first part of this study is really important. I mentioned earlier that uh, many of the imported products don't have that early phase data. We don't have good pharmacokinetic data and this first part of this trial is actually establishing that, which is is really welcome development. Um, Now that it's up and running, we've met with our palliative care physicians um, in August to look at how we can improve access to people who are not or who cannot access the trial. And the outcome of that is to develop protocols or a series of protocols um, for particular clusters of symptoms that aren't being addressed so that patients can access that product. And again, that is to streamline the process. Um, I think one of the key issues that will be looked at is what are the products that the clinicians will be happy to use, but that will be part of the protocol development. So that's, um, I think, a really pleasing thing to see happening now that the trials are up and running. Just by the by, I think Mark mentioned some numbers earlier about um, individual prescribing in New South Wales. It has been modest and I think the reality is if you look back the 12 months ago, the system was only being established. I think it's really only gaining traction this year in the last six months and it is modest, but it is you know, on this kind of trajectory going up each month and I expect we'll see that change over time. As I mentioned earlier, if it is a cannabidiol Schedule 4 only, uh, it doesn't have the additional controls of Schedule 8 and so there's no application to New South Wales Health. Um, and the New South Wales government has also put money behind the development of national guidance that the TGA has commissioned and that is being led by the University of New South Wales and others. And it's looking at a range of conditions epilepsy, palliative care, multiple sclerosis, different kinds of pain um, and nausea and vomiting. Uh, The TGA has just released some of the uh, studies uh, and it's on its website uh, that sit behind the guidance and it is expected that that guidance will begin to be released later this year. Again, we simply simply don't have the data um, that we do with registered products to um, enable easy tables of equivalencies to be released, but this should help practitioners in making their decisions with their patients about whether um, it's appropriate to use, and if so, in what circumstances. Another area that we're working on is driving. Um, The Minister asked that we do some work in this area. The reality is it is um, the driving law predates lawful prescribing of cannabis. It's an offence to be found driving um, with cannabis, particularly THC, in your system. Uh, unlike um, alcohol, there is not a simple linear relationship between uh, cannabis um, presence and actual impairment. It's quite complex. There is also uh, the equity issue that we do not not test for other lawfully prescribed medicines. Um, The reality is, is we don't want people driving if they're impaired for any reason. And whether that's because you're tired, because you're vomiting, because you're taking a medicine. We certainly don't want people on, on the road and that is the central priority. But we certainly need to look at how we should be approaching this. So the uh, the minister has established um, a high level cross agency committee because this is a an issue that is relevant to the roads minister, uh, the police minister and the justice minister. So that work will be continuing this year. The other thing that we're doing is we are updating um, the centre website and we are doing another round of engaging with colleges um, and associations such as this and patient groups as well. Um, in the first tranche um, of consultations that uh, occurred in the first couple of years, I think that was mainly with the colleges and that was really around establishing the mechanics of the system and how that um, should work. I think we're now at the stage of engaging, how can we provide you with information about how the system does work? But also, can you tell us what your issues and information needs and your experiences are um, in terms of this issue? So what we really want to know from people is you know, how can we help? what kinds of information would be useful. Um, We've spoken to Rita about how we could engage and use um, the association's processes, as well as getting feedback. Um, We are a small centre. Doing individual responses is tricky, but I'm sure that if you have a question, your colleagues will as well, and that can help us really um, put up some revised FAQs that will help everyone. I think I'll stop there. Thank you so much for your time.